couple of weeks ago, I was asked to give a Dharma talk tonight. And I like to talk about things that are kind of current in my practice, what's, what's been happening most recently. And what's been happening most recently for me has been the experience of having a broken leg. I was working in northern Sweden in, in late January and I uh, slipped on the ice and fell and like in the matter of one second I went from being totally mobile and independent and everything else to being completely helpless, to being completely vulnerable and dependent on, on other people to take care of me. And it's actually been a wonderful experience in, in many ways. It's, it's been an opportunity to see, um, to practice with things that I hadn't had to practice with before. And so I've been talking to, to people in the Sangha about this over, over the last three months. And I wanted to make this into some kind of a uh, presentation that, that um, hopefully would be in, helpful for everyone. And so in order to come up with a structure for it, I decided that I would... Um, work it into a talk about the paramis. Um, I'm wondering how many of you have heard of the paramis? Okay, looks like a, a few of you have. Um, I actually hadn't heard of them for almost two years into my practice. Um, I thought the practice was all about sitting and meditating, you know, and that, you know, watching my breath and... Um, watching the other phenomenon that would, would arise and, and listening to Dharma talks. Pretty much that, that was it. And what I found out was that there was this list of qualities that can be cultivated that really can serve as the foundation for practice, can serve as a foundation for doing meditation and a foundation for making progress on the path if... if one likes to talk in those terms. Um, in the tradition that we practice, that the teachers here came from, from, uh, from Asia, the Theravadan tradition, the list is, consists of ten qualities. In the Zen tradition, they've condensed it down to six, or in some cases, one. But I'll talk about the ten Qualities, these ten paramis or um, perfections that um, have to do with qualities that we develop in how we interact with others, how we interact with the world that can help support the meditation practice, help um, in calming the mind so that, that you can become concentrated and have, the, have um, deeper insight. The first of the of the ten paramis is generosity, and I think we all have some notion of what generosity is. Part of this practice is learning about letting go, and generosity can be a practice of seeing that you can let go and actually in a joyful way, in a way that actually can bring some happiness both to yourself and to others. And it doesn't, uh, when, when I first hear the word, I always think of generosity in terms of giving of, of money or giving of um, possessions or objects. But we also, but one of the greatest gifts that we can give to each other is um, our time and our attention, this, the abilities that we have. And... So this, and, so this is the in the in the way that these paramis are uh, typically taught. They're taught in, in a sequence, and generosity is the is the first of the ten. Because I think we all have had experience both with um, giving and also receiving. 
um, receiving is, is as much a part of, of that cycle of generosity as giving. Let's see. The, the other kind of maybe requirements of the Parmis is that they be coupled with compassion, that these are things that we do with compassion. So generosity could be done, say, for example, so that you could have, you know, your ego could make you, you know, you'd want to think of yourself as a generous person or, you know, things like that. But but really giving giving out of a sense of compassion for others and also as a, as a wise means to um, help others, to help others um, become free of the, the things that we cling to that cause us suffering. Let's see. And generosity is, is one of, well, this was one of the, the paramis that I really felt like I had the most um, experience with and exposure to in this, in this process of... Um, going from an image of myself as being independent and self-reliant to being completely completely dependent and completely um, reliant on others, and then slowly over time transitioning back to some hopefully intermediate state. <laughs> uh, I don't think any of us are, are as independent um, as we might think we are. Let's see. The next parami is virtue or ethics. It's known as sila in the Pali. And it has to do with cultivating ways of, of acting in the world that are harmless harmless to ourselves and harmless to others that um, don't lead to further suffering. And I think traditionally for lay people like ourselves, the, the teachings have to do with the, the five precepts. These are um, guidelines that particularly that we take when we go on um, Retreat to help train the mind. And the five, in case you haven't, aren't familiar with the, the precepts, the five precepts that one typically takes on a on a retreat. Um, the first one has to do with um, not killing, so not um, harming other sentient beings. Um, and the sec- second one has to do with not taking what's not freely given. Uh, the third one is not harming through our sexuality, so not engaging in um, sexual activity that's harmful to ourselves or to others. That's an area that you know, really requires a lot of attention so that... Um, unacknowledged feelings and intentions um, don't cause harm. The fourth precept is non-harmful speech. That has to do with speech which is truthful, um, is helpful, is timely, and has a tone that is accepting so um, it's not just telling the truth. I mean, sometimes telling the truth can be used fairly um, harshly, but it's it's using our speech in a way that isn't harmful either to ourselves or to others. And then the fifth precept is not intoxicating the body or mind with drugs and alcohol. Uh, in this practice, as we work to gain clarity of, you know, clarity of, of awareness, um, 
you know, drugs and alcohol tend to cloud the mind, cloud one's perceptions. And so those um, tend to be unhelpful in, in leading a, a life that doesn't lead to suffering. And so these five precepts are not—they're not—they're um, not to be used as kind of judgments about oneself or others, but they're kind of used as guideposts that, when you start moving in that direction, in the direction of, of speech or in the direction of, um, you know, taking things, um, they're signposts may, that um, say. Beware, you know, beyond here there's the potential of causing harm. Let's see. The third preset, the third um, parami, rather, is renunciation. And part of renunciation has to go do of letting go of things. But and in, in the monastic tradition, renunciation often had to do with um, letting go of sensual lust, you know, letting go of those things that we just really, you know, sense, sense experiences that we just feel so compelled to have. But I think in the lay life, renunciation can often be letting go of the unneeded complexity of our lives. You know, I think our minds, particularly in, in in the Bay Area and the Western world where there's so many things available to us, we just want to have it all. And there's a way that um, our ideas of who we are and what we need and what we should become can become fairly complex. And... Um, So for me, the, the idea of renunciation for, a, for the lay life is the, the willingness to, to let go of some of the um, complexity that we create for ourselves, to, to, to live more simply, not only in terms of the material world, but also in terms of our own internal um, thought patterns and um, I, you know, what we identify with and how we see ourselves. Uh, this was a, a particular area that, that, that um, came up for me a lot in the last three months with this, with this broken leg experience in that I just couldn't maintain the level of complexity that I had developed. It, it, just, was, it just wasn't possible. And I'll talk about that a little bit more later. But I wanted to go through this, this list first. Then the, um, the fourth parami is wisdom or discernment. And that's um, cultivating an ability of direct knowing of our experience. Quite often what you might find, particularly in meditation, is that you experience something, but in addition to the direct experiencing of that phenomenon, there's all sorts of judgments that come up about it, all sorts of um, uh, idea stories and concepts and all, a whole mass of, of thoughts and ideas that, that um, get added to that experience. Um, based on things from the past and also our own, you know, kind of our own prejudices of, of how we want to see the world. Um, this was an area, again, where I, I felt like the, the, the real slowing down that was necessary in being basically um, disabled, um, allowed opportunities for me to, to um, 
cultivate wisdom. Let's see. So the, the fifth parami is uh, energy or effort. You know, it's real nice to just kind of passively wish that we could become enlightened or that all of our, <laughs> you know, that all of our stress would disappear or, uh, you know, we could attain calm and happiness and joy, rapture. But it does take energy. It does take um, applying oneself, energy or um, persistence. And in the course of these three months, not all of my experiences have been about cultivating these qualities. Some of them have just been seeing the quality and perhaps seeing where uh, more effort is required. I mean, I think this was actually, um, if I was to make a report card for myself, this was one area that would say needs improvement. <laughs> so, um, but, it, but it's a very interesting area to, um, from, I found to investigate See, the sixth parami is patience or endurance. And I'd always thought of myself as a patient person. I thought, well, I've got this one down. But actually, there's a difference between patience and complacency. You know, I mean, there's sort of, there's patience and impatience. You know, impatience, you're, kind of trying to push push ahead against um, maybe kind of the natural flow of things. I mean, pushing harder than things can actually move. And complacency is just a little bit more on the side of surrendering or, or of resigning, not, not putting forth effort. Um, patience, I think, is really more a quality of seeing that there's a right time for action. So it's not not ever taking action, but it's seeing that there's a right time for action and being willing to endure conditions till that time arrives, until it's clear what that, that the next action needs to be. The seventh parami is truthfulness. And I think we probably all have some idea of what truthfulness is. Um, I think, yeah. So I'll, I'll talk a little bit more of, about truthfulness later, but, but I think the experience... The experience, um, as I've been looking, as I was getting ready to give this talk, and I started looking at the area, the quality of truthfulness, I, I realized that there's, there's still places in my life that I don't feel like I'm ready to be entirely truthful with myself about. Um, Maybe some of you have also experienced this. I, I don't know. Um, it, it seemed it seemed kind of odd that I could recognize that it was an area that I wasn't being truthful, entirely truthful. Um, so if I recognize that, why not just do it? <laughs> you know. Um, There's times when being truthful is very easy. You know, somebody asks you your name, you know, and it's pretty easy to give your name. But um, there's other times when being truthful requires um, invoking, facing conflict or the possibility of conflict. You know, facing a situation that 
one just doesn't want to uh, have to face. So I think that's, uh, for me anyway, truthfulness is kind of a, a never, it's one of these things that needs continual examination and, and, and um, working with. Even to get to the level of being truthful with oneself. You know, I mean, you can't really be truthful with others until you can be truthful with yourself. See, the eighth parami is determination. Um, or uh, resolve. And I think the kind of the easy, the, the example that came up for me around this one is what we do when we sit and meditate. There's a determination to continually bring the awareness back to the breath. So you bring the awareness back to the breath and you stay with it and the next thing you're aware of, you're in the midst of a story about your boss or what you're going to do over the weekend. And then there's this determination that you're going to just keep returning. You're just going to keep returning to the breath. So um, in your life, there's, there's similar things. If you have an intention, you know, if you have an intention of, um, I don't know, um, taking a class or something. There's, it takes determination to sit down and, and do the homework. And then the next thing you know, you find yourself watching television. And so you turn the television off and you sit down and work on it again. Um, so just so in practice, this, this quality of determination is, is, um, is important to develop outside of the meditation practice so that you can bring it to, to your meditation. Let's see, the ninth parami is loving kindness or metta. Uh, I don't know how many of you are familiar with loving kindness practice. Perhaps some of you are. Um, it, it actually has its own form of meditation. Um, quite often on retreats, there'll be one whole sitting that's just dedicated to doing loving-kindness meditation. And it involves uh, silently repeating phrases of well-wishing for oneself, um, for one's friends, for one's teachers, for people that you don't know, and for people that you have difficulty with. And just expanding that sense of well-wishing um, eventually to all beings. And it can be done either with phrases or bringing up images um, in the mind. And it's a quality of developing an openness and a friendliness to one's experience. Um, You know, a lot, for me anyway, growing up, there, there were a lot of experiences that um, my predisposition was to fear what was unknown, you know, to, to kind of see if I could avoid the unknown or kind of hold it at bay. I think loving kindness is... Um, developing an openness and kind of a friendliness with your experience. Not That doesn't mean necessarily condoning things that are unhelpful or um, harmful, but uh, having a willingness to engage, you know, and to engage other people and to engage your own experience. And loving kindness is considered, it's one of the Brahmi Viharas, it's one of the divine abodes. This is one of the um, emotions that um, is cultivated, and one of the, one of the, one of the uh, emotions that where one can um, 
kind of purify one's heart. And then the final parami is equanimity, which is related to loving kindness. It, it, it too is one of the Brahma Viharas, but it's it's an it's an ability to, to um, kind of a stability of mind, uh, uh, an ability to be unruffled by the changing winds of conditions. What you might find is there, there's traditionally, uh, they, they describe them as the eight winds. There's um, gain and loss, pleasure and pain, praise and blame, and fame and disrepute. Those are the, the four winds that tend to blow us around and um, you know, tend to, you know, things like gain and pleasure and fame and praise all tend to draw us towards them and uh, loss and um, pain and blame and ill repute tend to push us away. And with a quality of equanimity, an equanimous mind, there's a quality of impartiality of being willing to be with those different conditions as they as they affect us as conditions keep changing so it's not an indifference to what's going on with us we're we're aware of what's going on but we're not so pushed around by these conditions as they come and go and so that's why equanimity i think is that's why it's the the last of the paramis not the first one because I think we all have a natural tendency to kind of go after the things we like and you know avoid the things we don't like. Let's see. So I wanted to talk about the specific experiences that I've had. Um, in regards to these, with the, the experience of, of break, breaking my leg and um, being rescued and taken from hospital to hospital and having surgery and going from a place of being completely taken care of to gradually um, having to develop an ability to take care of myself um, as as the healing process went along, let's see. I I was walking down the uh, snow covered hill in northern Sweden in, in late January, and in the course of one second, my foot slipped and I heard a crack, and I was laying on my back. And it just it all happened without really. Seemingly without a cause, I, I, you know, I can't say that I tripped over anything. I wasn't carrying anything. I wasn't running. It just seemed to happen. And I had a lot of resistance to even the first thought in my mind was, "This didn't happen. This didn't happen." You know, I'm going to be able to get up. I'm going to be able to walk. You know, and. Uh, nobody's going to know that this happened to me. <laughs> the, the ego just didn't want to let go of an idea that I had of myself as, as this person in charge of my life. Well, it was about something like 10 to 15 below zero, and I was laying on hard-packed snow. And I realized, well, fortunately, I had been on a retreat about two weeks before, and this teacher, Charter Rogel, had given a talk about Surrendering to what is. And suddenly her talk came to my mind and I thought, you know, I think this is what she was talking about. <laughs> I think this is the time to surrender to what is. You know, it's, I have a broken leg and I need help. And so I got on my hands and knees and crawled up the hill to where I could f- get help. And the very next thing my mind said is, well, what are people going to think of this guy crawling on his hands and knees in the snow, waving at them? 
know, they're going to think he's drunk or crazy, you know. And I thought, you know, geez, I, you know, how, how can I do this so that they won't think that of me? And I realized, well, maybe they will. <laughs> and when I first waved, nobody responded. And then when I said, please help me, I have a broken leg, people came over and just completely took care of me. They, they went out of their way to, to get one of my coworkers from the, from the hotel. And it, fortunately, the uh, fire brigade was just about 100 meters away. They, they had gotten their fire engine stuck in the snow. <laughs> but they somehow got it out, and they, they came and, and helped me. And the overwhelming, when I sur- just surrendered to this, it's like, okay, people are here, they're willing to help, and I need help. Things just, things just happened, you know. I just felt an intense gratitude that um, people would just stop what they're doing. I mean, the, the two women that found me were, you know, kind of walking off to dinner or doing something, and they just dropped their plans and helped me. Um, and throughout the course of this, I've had, I've had. Um, I found just walking around on crutches, people would open doors for me. They would, um, when I'd order coffee at the the coffee shop, they would, somebody would just walk up and carry my coffee from the the counter to a table. And I had never really seen so consistently, so consistently, the level of kindness and compassion. And generosity that people, both people I knew and strangers, were willing to offer if one was only there to accept it. And so um, that was it, that's been a real inspiring um, part of this whole experience is, is just seeing that you know kind of seeing that potential that seemed a little hidden. When I walked around without crutches, people, you know, tend to be in their own little worlds and, you know, everybody has their own concerns going on. But um, beneath that, there's just an openness of heart that um, that's available. And I found what I had to give to others in addition to the um, opportunity to give was that I could express appreciation, I could uh, listen, um, offer offer um, thanks and smiles, and uh, also offer these stories. I mean, it's been it's been wonderful, and. So that that so the 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 parami of generosity really came forward in this experience for me. Um, I think I'll skip virtue. I'm not quite sure that there were too much along that line. Um, let's see. So yeah, so I covered generosity and virtue. Um, Renunciation. Uh, there, the experience really was of having to let go of my agenda. Even as I was laying on the ground with this broken leg, I was thinking that I, I was supposed to get up early the next morning and fly on a 10-hour research flight on, on a research plane. And I thought, okay, well, I'll accept having a broken leg and they'll put it in a cast, and I'll be on the plane tomorrow morning. <laughs> and as soon as I got to the hospital and they x-rayed it, they said, well, you need to have surgery, and you're going to be in the hospital for six days. And I had to just let go of, you know, all of, all of the tasks that I had on my to-do list of flying on this flight and doing data analysis and just surrender to... Um, what needed to happen.
see. That kind of led into the area of wisdom. So as I... The hospital... I was in um, Kiruna, Sweden, which is north of the Arctic Circle. I think it's the largest city north of the Arctic Circle. Um, Their hospital didn't have a surgeon that could do the, the surgery that I needed, so they took me in a ambulance on a, something like an hour and 15-minute ambulance ride south to a town of Yalivara where they had a, a better surgeon. Uh, because of that, it was I was pretty isolated from all my coworkers. I mean, they were, they were up in Kiruna, and to come to visit me would require two and a half hours on the road, on roads that were pretty snow-covered, fairly narrow, Trucks tended to take more than half of the road, so when they would come towards you, you you had to get as close to the edge of the road as possible. And um, there were also moose that would walk across the road from time to time. And um, you don't want to hit a moose. I mean, even if you're not a Buddhist, even if you're not concerned about, if you're only concerned about your own well-being, hitting a moose with a car is just uh, it's a bad experience. And also, the, the day, we only had four hours of daylight. So for them to come and visit me required spending, in the daylight, required spending, basically spending most of that daylight time on the road and then maybe an hour or an hour and a half visiting me. So as a result, my coworkers only came about to visit me about every other day for about an hour. And they put me in a room by myself, There was a television that had a few English television shows on occasionally. Uh, Fortunately, they they did have The Simpsons, so that was helpful to me. Um, And my coworkers brought some some of my books and my laptop computer, but because I couldn't put my contact lenses in, I had to use these kind of glasses that didn't correct my vision very well. So reading and working on the computer just were were not really an option. And although the doctors and nurses were were very friendly, very kind, and could speak some English, um, you know, they had other things to do. So so mostly I laid in this room by myself for six days, and I watched my mind. What did my mind do? And what I found was when I would remember to look at What's my mind state? What's going on now? I would find that I would be in this kind of state of resignation, this state that I call poor me. Oh, poor me, you know, I've got a broken leg. I, you know, I'm not getting my work done, you know. I'm, I'm all alone. And then as I would recognize that, I would start to bring some energy and some investigation to it and start to say, well, what does this feel like? You know, what's, what's the energy like? What's, you know, what, you know, what's this all about? And I found that as I started to investigate poor me, it actually changed because as I got into investigating it, I was no longer in that state. And I found that over time, over a course of a couple days, I became pretty, pretty facile at recognizing when that state had arisen. You know, I could. I didn't stay in it so long. I could start to. Oh, poor me. Yeah, I, yeah, I know this. And as I as I get more interested in it, I'd I'd recognize just how familiar it had been for me. How much of my life I've spent um, in in that kind of state of of sort of feeling sorry for myself. And I wondered, well. What's the payoff here? What you know, this this doesn't seem very um, useful or or interesting even. But I realized that one of the things is my mind was looking for some place to rest, some place to come to rest, to not to to escape from you know certain frenetic um, activity, and that this was a state where there was very little energy. And there was very little seeing of possibilities, of choice. 
And as I investigated it further, I realized that what I, what I wanted was a mind at rest, but, I, but not this state. This state didn't have the awareness. It didn't have the energy. It didn't have the joy um, that, that I've experienced in other states in meditation. So um, that was kind of like my biggest sort of wisdom insight was just having this opportunity to lay in bed for six days, kind of being weighted on hand and foot. I mean, you know, my food would show up, you know. I didn't even have to get out of the bed to go to the bathroom. You know, I just had this little thing, and they'd push the button, and somebody would come and take it, you know. Like anything I needed, you just push the red button. Um, I don't have a red button like that at home. (laughs) So... um, So that that experience really helped helped me see the, the poor mind st- the, the poor me mind state, and also um, brought me insights into the whole area of uh, energy and effort, which is the uh, the fifth parami. And this this is an area where I, I realize. that I often have more energy than I think I do. That um, it's just kind of recognizing, well, what can I do with the energy that's available rather than thinking, geez, I need more energy to do whatever it is that I want to do. So um, so since breaking my leg, life has just been harder. You know, everything just takes longer. It takes more energy. Um, you know, even um, the first thing that happened when I got back to work was that the elevator in our building broke, and I, I work in the basement, so I had to learn how to get up and down the stairs, crutches. Um, But I recognize that I actually do have that there is more energy available than than I had been aware of before. So that's that's been really helpful to me. And that kind of leads to the next parmi of patience. That somehow it seemed like patience and energy were related. Um, as I said, things were just a lot harder. So what I'd find was I couldn't get re- even get, re- get out of bed and get ready to go to work in the same amount of time as I used to. And when I would forget that, when I'd get impatient, then I would feel um, frustration rising. So I, I could kind of use that as a barometer that when... When I was starting to feel frustrated that that I wasn't able to get things done as quickly as I wanted to, I could see that there was a need for more patience. And likewise, when I found that nothing was happening, that I'd find that I had really kind of fallen into complacency, which is different than than patience, and that if I could bring some energy to my experience, I could see that, well, it might take longer to do what I wanted to do, that if it was important to me, I could find a way to get things done. So, um, carrying 25 pounds of plaster around on your leg really can teach you a lot about patience. Um, See, talked a little bit about truthfulness. Uh, determination uh, was related to patience and to energy. Because everything, because everything was harder, um, I, 
I found that certain times I just had to be determined. I just had to continue to continue to keep at something. Um, I mean, for example, um, I haven't been able to. I used to always meditate sitting on a zafu, and I can't do I can't do that right now. And so I would lay in bed, and I couldn't get as concentrated laying in bed as, as sitting on a zafu. But uh, I was determined, nonetheless, to meditate every single day, even even if I didn't kind of have the result that I wanted. I would just put my best effort forward and just be determined to continue to continue to meditate um, as best I could. Let's see, and the uh, the ninth parmi of loving kindness. This one was really interesting for me. Um, about a, almost exactly a year before I broke my leg, um, my mother had passed away. She had been in ill health, and she had been uh, in a rest home, in an institution, in a bed, much like the one that I was in at the time. And I had found that I couldn't really accept the way that she was in that last year. She had kind of lost interest in life. She wouldn't spend a lot of time talking to me or to my father. Um, she didn't seem too interested in um, her health. Um, prior to that, she was diabetic, and so she was supposed to inject herself with insulin uh, every day, and quite often she wouldn't. And I realized that I, I kind of resented her for that. I kind of resented that she wasn't doing all of these things. And here it was a year later, I felt like I was in her exact same shoes, um, I had to inject myself each day with an anticoagulant. And I, real, and I found out how much aversion I had to doing that. And, you know, all of the issues of um, being able to take care of one's personal hygiene when, you can't, when you're not mobile. Um, and even just the kind of loss of connection with your life, being isolated, you know, just even for six days in a room, um, it really gave me a much deeper appreciation of my mother and, and what she had gone through at the end of her life uh, than I had experienced before. And so I could also see that that whole experience of uh, sickness and old age and death aren't person they're not a personal failing. That's what happens. You know, we all will face sickness and old age and death. And as I had this encounter with a similar situation, it it really, I think, brought me a much deeper appreciation of of her and her life. So... Uh, those are my thoughts and stories about the Parmies. Uh, I'd l- like to open the floor to whoever, to anyone who may have questions or comments or their own uh, experiences uh, with this material. Yes. Well, yeah, the, the Swedes are very averse to pain. The, the, the nurses would come in every hour or so and ask me if I wanted more painkillers. <laughs> and I, I wasn't actually experiencing very much pain. And I found that, so I would really kind of put off having any kind of painkiller until I could until I could start to experience pain, so I could kind of know where where is that trade-off between um, experiencing unwanted sensation and 
clarity of mind. Yes, yes, I know. <laughs> well, I'm currently in physical therapy, and actually this is where I'm experiencing the most, um, probably the most pain. You know, it's, it was kind of easy to lay there with a cast on. I mean, it was somewhat unpleasant, but the, the physical therapy requires, you know, kind of, pushing a little bit, you know, that determination and that willingness to, to um, um, bring the body back into, uh, into act, the realm of activity again. And I'm not sure about um, sitting on a Zafu. I mean, I, I tried it last night and I, I still can't. And I'm signed up for a six-week meditation retreat back on the East Coast in November. And, uh, you know, so my mind is already making up stories of what's that going to be like and, you know, am I going to get what I want out of it and everything else. So, you know, kind of dealing with the, the planning mind is, is one of the things that I'm working with right now. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, actually, you know, for the purposes of teaching, we, we separate these out into ten distinct categories. But each each one has elements of all the others in it. I think for me, the the determination, um, you know, there's times when my energy isn't very strong, but I can be determined to just try to meditate with whatever level of energy I have or, um, you know, anything else in life, you know, um, reading a book or um, taking the steps, you know, walking from my bedroom to the kitchen. You know, I can just be determined to do that even though some days I've got a lot of energy and I can do it fast and other days it just, it's a lot harder that I think that the determination is just, holding one's mind there, and then the amount of energy kind of um, kind of sets how fast or slowly one does it. Well, we still have about five minutes. Why don't we just sit for a few minutes? Thank you all for your attention. And if you have any other questions, you can come and see me afterwards.